0: Hi, I'm Greg Lefebvre, and this is The Compulsive Storyteller, a series of short personal stories where we explore the idea that truth can be stranger than fiction. In this week's episode, entitled Escondido, my girlfriend and I head to a secluded beach town on the Pacific coast of Mexico, where we soon find out that the laid-back lifestyle hides some dangerous characters, and we get ourselves in way too deep. Escondido. A Malcolm Lowry quote from Under the Volcano. It's amazing when you come to think of it how the human spirit seems to blossom in the shadow of the abattoir. This all happened a long time ago when Mexico was still a third world country and not the powerhouse of tourism, industry and agriculture that it is today. And Puerto Escondido was just a sleepy little fishing village on Mexico's Pacific coast that attracted a few young European hippies and surfers and no Americans. Fittingly, Escondido means hidden in Spanish. To get there, my girlfriend Laura and I take a night train from Mexico City to Oaxaca, where we board an old oil-leaking DC-3 to fly west, not so much over the mountains, as through them on a hair-raising flight. When the clouds finally part, there below us is a perfect elongated village glistening along the curved white sand beach that hugs the deep blue Pacific. As we walk with our gear from the grass landing strip on a path toward the village, a scrawny, short-haired dog comes bounding up the path welcome us. He's wagging his tail wildly, as if he's our dog and we just arrived home from a long absence. We name him Skinny. As we check into our small hotel called the San Francisco, the manager angrily comes out from behind the front desk to chase away the dog, picking up a rock from the dirt street, but Skinny is already long gone. A black-tongued green parrot, perched above the desk, screeches to cheer on the manager. He rants, No street dogs here. Pulgoso. <laughs> Meanwhile, Skinny waits for us down the road. We decide to eat our first dinner in Escondido at Lisa's which is recommended as the best restaurant in town. It's at the other end of the village from our hotel, and Skinny accompanies us there, keeping all of the other stray dogs at bay. We aren't expecting much, but we're dead wrong. The restaurant walls open through an archway of palms onto a beautiful beach, and the interior is spectacularly designed. The food is fantastic, delicious, and beautifully presented. Best of all, Lisa comes out to join us for a glass of wine, and then her husband joins us too. They're a beautiful couple with dark tan skin, dark eyes, black hair, perfect white teeth, and dressed very fashionably. They both speak perfect English as well. While we feel honored by their presence at our table, we're also very curious, why us? Luis has a bunch of questions about New York and about us as a couple. They take turns keeping us company, and then when it's time to leave, they won't let us pay for anything. We refuse their offer, But they insist. As we walk home along with Skinny, who's been waiting outside the restaurant, I ask Laura, What do you think that was all about? She smiles and responds, I actually don't have a clue. Maybe they spotted us for Americans or New Yorkers, or maybe they're just swingers sussing us out for an encounter. I respond sarcastically, Or maybe something more sinister, some kind of human trafficking or kidnapping for ransom. We laugh, but we've both seen far too many movies where an American couple comes to a bad end in a foreign country. Our hotel is a ten-room, two-story cinder block building which has seen better days. A little grimy with peeling pink paint, but a great deal at 175 pesos a night. That's $7 American. We have a balcony that looks across the dirt main street toward the fishermen's shacks and their boats pulled up on the beach. Our first night is troubling, though. In the wee hours of the morning, we're startled awake by the relentless squeals of a pig being slaughtered in the street. Four men with machetes have botched the job, and the noises coming from the wounded pig have us peering out the window in horror. In the dark shadows lurks Skinny, waiting for scraps. A golden sunrise and some huevos rancheros at a little outdoor restaurant down the street, bring us back to our senses and remind us of why we came here. We meet Marizia, a heavy-set one-woman operation, chef, waitress, and cleaner. As we spend more time in her cafe, and she becomes a friend, sort of a friend, we see how newcomers at her place are easy to spot because of their impatience while waiting to be served. They've not yet begun to settle into the laid-back rhythms of the town. That evening, we eat in one of the fishermen's tents across from the hotel. Delicious, fresh grouper. But the sounds of a big green turtle turned on its back in the corner, thrashing his flippers unsuccessfully to right himself kills our appetite. The next day, we have a great day at the beach and meet an assortment of young Europeans from around town. Back at our hotel... A note from Luis arrives, inviting us to dinner at his home, and Lisa and their children will join us. We both hesitate, deciding to wait for a day to respond. That evening, we've made plans with a group of new friends to have a fish cookout. A dozen of us rendezvous, and then we hike along the wild beach south of town under a full moon. After cooking the fish in tinfoil over an open fire, drinking wine and smoking pot, we're all getting along famously, even though our group contains eight different nationalities and most of us don't speak each other's languages. Somehow, we start sharing tongue twisters in our native languages. We contribute she sells seashells by the seashore and also many men must munch much mush. A Swede offers up kvistvit kvast gäft," which means a branchless broomstick. And all the other contributions are hilarious gibberish. Lots of drunken laughter. And then it's time for a swim. There's a heavy surf and a strong current parallel to the beach. The water is warm and the moon is sparkling on the waves. Everyone strips naked and charges into the water. We play on the surf for about an hour and we come out to the beach. However, all of our clothes have been stolen. Everything, gone. The only thing we do find Is an oily ball of tinfoil we cook the fish in. I volunteer to go back into town to fetch towels wrapped in a tinfoil loincloth. In a quarter of a mile, I come to our campsite and all of our clothes. The current has pushed us down the beach as we played in and out of the water. I get to return to the group as the conquering hero. Lisa and Luis's home is hidden on a jungle hilltop overlooking the lights of the town strung out along a curved beach. The modern building is all glass and interior courtyards with jungle vegetation, pools, and fountains inside. The front door is a thick slab of mahogany which pivots from its middle in both directions. Laura and I find ourselves sitting in a beautiful home with a beautiful couple, their beautiful children, enjoying another scrumptious meal. And I think to myself, what's going on? After dinner, Lisa and Laura put the kids to bed and Louise takes me out on the terrace to smoke a Cuban cigar, which I decline. He asks, so tell me about New York City. I respond, what would you like to know? Then he says, do you think we could succeed with a restaurant like Lisa's in New York? And I respond again, it's a tough place to succeed with a restaurant business, but given how capable and hardworking you both seem, if you had enough money behind you, I think you could do it. And looking around this place, it looks like money won't be a problem. Then we both toast to his success. Two days later, Luis sends me a note, inviting me to a boy's afternoon out, which is his diplomatic way of saying that Laura's not invited. He will pick me up at the hotel for a special Mexican experience. He shows up in a new Land Rover, and after telling me he doesn't want the street dog in the car, namely Skinny, who skulks off, he continues, we're headed for the cemetery, a place of death that captures the essence of life in Mexico. After a short jungle drive, we come to an overgrown clearing and a pair of rusty gates. Of interest, though, is what lies outside the graveyard, beyond the overgrown fence surrounding the place, are scattered a series of makeshift graves, many with crosses fashioned from human leg bones crossed by a human arm bone and nestled beneath a human skull bleached white by the sun. Luis begins, What you see here on both sides of the fence captures the essence of my country. The cemetery is a business, and those who don't pay the rent on their relatives' graves find them dug up and their bones dumped outside, so they rebury them as best they can, and this is what you get. Luis continues, In the museum, there's a stunningly beautiful tall stone cross that was made by Aztec carvers. It was commissioned by one of the early Catholic bishops. The cross is deeply encrusted with all kinds of Aztec symbols in relief. Skulls, snakes, eagles, claws and talons, and jaguars. It's a perfect melding of Spanish Catholicism and native Mexican culture. When Laura and I meet up, she asks, So how was your boy's trip with Lewis? Weird, I say. He took me to a jungle cemetery. Then I explained what I had seen and heard. Do you think it's safe hanging out with him alone? Yeah, I don't think he's dangerous. I just can't figure out what he's after. Maybe my mistrust comes from spending too many years in New York City. It's late afternoon, a couple days later. My hotel is full of sketchy-looking federales, federal cops, dressed in cheap suits. The manager tells me they're in town to raid Lisa's restaurant that night. Without a moment's hesitation, I grab Skinny and head for Lisa's to warn Lewis. When I get there, he's in the middle of the crowded dining room, and I ask him to go into his office. I tell him, there's a bunch of federales at my hotel, and the desk clerk told me they're going to raid Lisa's tonight. Mierda. He swears, shaking his head. Thanks for the heads up. You should go back to your hotel. Luis quickly pulls aside a concealed panel in his office wall where there are a number of clear plastic bags of cocaine. As he hurries to load them into a canvas bag, he demands that I go home, but I keep watching in amazement. He then lets himself out the side door, runs to the darkening beach, and heads fully clothed to the surf with the bag. I lose sight of him as he swims out into the dark. I then head back to the hotel to get Laura, and both decide to go to one of our European friends' places for the night in case there's any blowback from my informing on the cops. After an uncomfortable night on the couch, I head back to Lisa's. When I arrive, they're opening the restaurant, and Luis is in dry clothes in the main room. When he sees me, he blanches with anger and comes straight at me. You fucking pendejo! get the fuck out of my restaurant. But I was trying... He interrupts fiercely. Just go! That afternoon, Laura and I concur that we should leave town for our own safety. I leave a handwritten note with Maurizia to be delivered to Louis. It says, Dear Louis, my hotel was full of Federales, and later that night, the manager told me there was some sort of problem, and they called off the raid. My guess is that you have an informant working in your restaurant who saw you head into the ocean and then let them know there'd be no drugs on the premises. Don't blame me. Blame your informant. Greg. We say goodbye to our European friends, check out of the hotel, and head for the grass landing strip to take the same old DC-3 back to Oaxaca that we first arrived in. As we walk along the path to the airport we both realized that this is goodbye for Skinny. With all the action, we hadn't thought about this moment and we're both upset. While the plane waits with its engines idling, we both squat down to pet and hug the dog. We're in tears, but Skinny's tail isn't wagging. He's a smart dog and knows exactly what's happening because he's been here many times before. Instead of a frolicking goodbye, he simply turns and trots off down the grass path never looking back. the compulsive storyteller is written and narrated by me greg lefebvre and co-produced with peter kakoma who's also made our theme song if you enjoyed this week's episode we'd love your help sharing the show please subscribe to the compulsive storyteller for free on apple spotify or wherever you listen and also if you could leave a review that would be fantastic follow the show on instagram at the compulsive storyteller And check out our website for more information at thecompulsivestoryteller.com. Thanks for listening, and if you don't like this one, the next one will be another story.